If you go through a design process, by the time you get to the end and you develop a product, making any significant change to that is not only nearly impossible, it's often very costly. A lot of people, when they go to a new location, they buy one of the travel guides to that country. And ideas that are all centered or framed with the goal of supporting identity development. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, educators and innovators, welcome to the electrifying season three of ISSEDU Learn. Ask me anything with your dynamic host, Mike P and Dana. We're not just here to make waves, we're here to ride the tidal waves of your incredible support to the 21,000 strong downloaders and listeners who joined us on this incredible journey. We tip our hats to you. Your unwavering enthusiasm and active engagement fuels the very heartbeat of our mission. This season, we're not holding back. We're unleashing a tsunami of valuable insights, strategies, and practical wisdom that will effortlessly weave into the tapestry of your educational institutions. Whether you're ready to implement change today or set sail on a journey of profound exploration, trust us, we got you covered. For the inside scoop of upcoming events and certification opportunities that rock your world, point your browsers to iss.edu slash events. Are you ready to ride the podcast wave of a lifetime? Mike P and Dana are here to make it happen. Let the learning adventures begin. ISSEDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, Season 3. Dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, educators and change makers, welcome to another compelling episode of EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, brought to you by ISS.edu. I'm your host, Mike P., your favorite educator interviewer, along with my co-host, Dr. Dana Specker-Watts, who is the Director of Learning, Research, and Outreach at ISS. How are you feeling today, Dana? Feeling great. Always feeling good. And I have an additional question for you now, always. How's the weather by you? Oh, rainy after effects of a hurricane my triathlon got canceled yesterday i'm not happy with the weather today but you're feeling okay that's the good part mm-hmm. all right well, welcome back to our listeners to season three episode three of our podcast just once again want to express our heartfelt appreciation to each and every one of you for your incredible support So don't forget to hit the subscribe, give us a like, and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and many more. Your unwavering enthusiasm and active engagement serves as the very heartbeat to our mission. Our commitment is to bring you most valuable applicable insights and strategies that you can effortlessly weave into the fabric of your own educational institutions, whether you seek immediate implementation or wish to embark on the journey of profound exploration, we've got you covered. Prepare for a season brimming with enlightening discussions and tangible takeaways. Also, to stay informed with all of our upcoming virtual events and certification opportunities, please be sure to visit us at iss.edu slash events. And if you're on the lookout for your next career opportunity, explore the virtual, you can explore our page to see virtual and in-person job fairs. All right, without further ado, let's embark on another exciting episode in discovery and learning. Today, we have, we're privileged to have two exceptional guests with us today, Alan and Aparna. 
Alan and Aparna have recently shared their wealth of knowledge and expertise to a thought-provoking course of, that's available on our EDU platform. This course had delved into crucial topics of implicit bias and its impact on hiring process within international schools. Today, our discussion centers around breaking barriers, building awareness, and addressing blind spots. But before we dive into this topic, let's take a moment and acquaint ourselves with our guests for today, Alan and Aparna. Alan and Aparna, please take this time to just introduce yourself to our audience and just a little background about yourself and also the company that you guys have founded together. All right. Good morning, everyone. I'm Alan Fan. I'm the founder of the Diversity Collective. I am currently the associate head of school at the Evergreen School in Seattle. Before here, I was overseas for about 23 years, just a short stint overseas before coming back to the U.S. We founded the Diversity Collective just to uh, people of color and LGBT candidates and leaders around the world to find jobs and placement in international schools. And we think this is an important area that we need to focus on uh, in general. Thank you, Alan and Aparna. Hi, everyone. I'm Aparna Sundaram, and I am greeting you from Guadalajara, Mexico, where Dana, I invite you to come and enjoy the sun and warm up a little. <laughs> it's been, I've been in education about 30 years, worked in U.S. public schools, independent schools, and international schools. And as Alan mentioned, I am his partner and COO at the Diversity Collective. So when when you guys were talking, I was thinking about like how there's such a need for this, right? And I'm wondering, have you seen a lot of schools post-COVID where perhaps they might have had a little bit of an awakening of the lack of diversity in our schools when we think about school leadership and just candidates in general and teachers within our schools. Have you seen people specifically reach out to you because they're looking for diverse candidates or is it the diverse candidates are coming to you trying to find the jobs? Is there like, how do you manage both of those components? I would start with just uh, from the schools that are reaching out to us, asking for us to do some workshops with them, uh, also helping them find diverse candidates. I would say that they, while they reach out to us, I would say that the number one barrier is actually decision-making. Sometimes the people who reach out to us do not have the power or authority or budget to make any decision. And so I've actually spoken to several schools and I said, I, and I've done it, I was very honest. I said, if you are not the decision maker, I don't think this will be a, a very productive conversation because they have to go back, talk to the, whether the head of school, the principal, or who people who have managed the budget, and then go back and forth, back and forth. And I said, you know, for us, and I, we, this is like for us to have a conversation with a school half an hour or an hour takes a lot of our, our time. If we have multiple questions, uh, conversations like that and doesn't lead anywhere, it's not productive for us. So, and that's really the barrier where the, uh, let's say the DEI coordinator, director, they don't sit on the leadership team. And so their changes are not being made very rapidly, I would say international schools. I was conversely, now that I've moved back to the U.S., many of the DEI director positions are now sitting on the senior leadership team and they make decisions. And it's much more rapid here in independent schools. And I was really surprisingly shocked by that. And I just hope that International schools can move at, more, at a more rapid rate. And so I'm just hoping that when schools reach out to us saying, hey, this is what we're looking for, and here's what we can do immediately, and then bringing us on rather than saying, oh, we're not sure, I don't have the budget for it, so I have to talk to somebody else to bring you on. And so that process took a very long time. 
Having said that, we want you to reach out to us and hopefully uh, tell us uh, what we can do to help. All right. Thanks so much for that, Alan. Speaking by doing some examinations of sorts. Uh, yeah. So you spoke a lot about uh, biases in your course, you and Aparna. So just wanted to begin by just talking about that, why the awareness of our biases and privileges are important in the hiring process, especially in the context of evaluating and supporting candidates of diverse backgrounds. Sure. So one of the things we talked about and addressed was the normalizing the fact we all have implicit bias. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that can be cured right? We can't get rid of it, but what we can do is raise our awareness of it. And that is what is essential in this work before you go into hiring is not only to recognize that we have implicit bias, but do the work to understand in what way does it rear its head for me personally. And so one of the things that we really feel strongly about is having some sort of implicit bias training prior to going into the recruitment season with the hiring team. And we can't stress this enough, but we've seen with the research as well, there are actions that you can take to decrease the effect of bias in your hiring if you act on them regularly. And one of the simplest things you can do is to do this training to raise your awareness of your biases and therefore decrease the impact of the biases when you're making these decisions about who's going to make it to the next round, who's going to get an interview, right? Who do we value and why? Thank you for that. Could you also share some examples or insights on how implicit bias may influence our hiring decisions, even though we're not conscious of it? One of the, probably the most insidious for me would be the affinity bias. Meaning that, oh, you know, all this, I'm from California. So, oh, this person is from California. They're like, oh, I want to talk to the person. And there's no reason to talk to this person except the person is from California. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that to happen. And that could be they say, oh, they went to the same university. Oh, they have this doctorate in this thing. There's that affinity. They're from the same state. It doesn't really matter what the affinity is, but that is part of the most insidious. And the other side to that was what's called the horn bias is you look at something like, oh, they came from this school. I remember hiring this person from that school. It wasn't good. What does that have to do with anything with that person being a good teacher or a leader from one school? It's like two different people and you're comparing them to different people. And so it's one way or the other. It's not good practice to look at that. For me, the other question is like you ask yourself questions raise the level of awareness. It's like, oh, why am I interested in this candidate? And why am I not interested in this candidate? And that helps you say, okay, well, I'm interested in this candidate because of these competencies I'm looking at, in this experience I'm looking at, this life experience I'm looking at, and then why am I not interested in this experience? And then looking at the lack of rather than something else that is not has nothing to do with it. And so I think it's really helpful to have these type of asking yourself a lot of these questions in order to raise your own bias and biases that you might carry and you're unaware of. And that's why I think they're so insidious when you're looking at an application or a candidate. I think that happens so often in our schools yeah. and you see it, you know, you see it like, oh, we served on an accreditation committee together. Oh, we met at this conference. Oh, we were on a bus to an event together and <laughs> chatted. I That person's a good person or yeah. it seems like a nice, well, I want to say nice guy because it tends to be often the case, but 
I shouldn't say that. Or that happens a lot. Or this person's from the Midwest, so they understand, yeah. you know, my context and they understand my world, which has nothing to do with competencies or previous titles, which I'm constantly amazed at how often someone's previous title, which half the time they're made up, <laughs> like, and there's no consistency in the international schools about our titles and where they are, much less what their roles and responsibilities are. But it's not about someone's skill set and what they're bringing to the table. It's more about what's your previous title. Well, then you can't obviously have this title because you didn't have it in the last job. Yeah. I, I don't understand that in any way, shape or form. Dana, and one of the, I remember it was either a comment you were, you made during our workshop or another workshop about why are we playing the role of gatekeeper? And I really think if we want our hiring to be more inclusive, look at what we're doing to exclude right from the beginning, right? And ask ourselves, like, why do we spend so much time excluding who we're going to interview next, right? Where's our curiosity and what are we doing to be inclusive. Like you just said, this person doesn't have that title, but I'm really intrigued by their experiences and the skills they're mentioning. I want to talk to them, right? And I appreciated using that term because it's owning what a lot of us do, right? In the hiring process, inadvertently, we play the role of gatekeeping and it's dangerous and it doesn't get us to the ultimate goal of having leaders and teachers that reflect the world and reflect our student body. And so we're not serving our communities. Yeah. One other thing I I wanted to add is that there are, you also asked your question, yourself, the question or your team, what voice am I missing from this team? Honestly, if you just have to like a whole department of women, it's like, okay, can we find a male voice? Can we find a person of color's voice? on this team, or if you have a, a very, str- like a lot of male leaders in your school, like what about the female voice in this leadership team when we actually do something? Those are the questions you need to ask yourself. It, a lot of reflection and examining yourself and your school, and you have to be honest. And when you say, oh, I'm gonna go look, and they're like, oh, but only guys were like, well, you didn't look hard enough, I'm sorry. Because you know why? Most men apply for jobs they're not qualified, they don't qualify for. I'll be very honest with you about that. But a lot of women is like, oh, I'm not sure if I can get that job because I don't have this qualification and then they don't apply. So you have that it's disproportional, disproportionate with the number of applicants you get. So if you're intentional about what you're looking for, then you go out and look for it. And that is a powerful way to look for, for people whose voice is not heard and whose voice is not represented in your school. And so that's going to be something that we need to continue to examine. You know, you made me think of something, Ellen, when I was at, in my previous school, there was one person who I always wanted on my team because he never agreed with me. He never mm. was, like, he always had a diverse voice. And I knew if Brian was on the same page as me, we actually were on to something. And I had to figure out if I could figure out a way for us to both see an issue in the same way, like not in the same way, but like to approach it. And we both were passionate about it, then it was worth fighting for, right? But I wanted his voice because his voice was, I admired it so much because he didn't, he wasn't a yes person. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to go along with that. We're going to go along with that. I wanted a person and a voice that was going, so diverse also sometimes is that person that we tend to shy away from. We don't want someone who's not going to agree with us. But I think when we do have that person on our team, you just get stronger. And I want pushback. I was just in a previous meeting 
right before this and we were talking about a bunch of us were talking about how kevin simpson on multiple occasions has called us out and told us we can do better and has forced us to do better i want mm -hmm. someone who's always going to force me to do better who is going to say not just say oh yeah great job well yeah. <laughs> but push me and ask me the questions that i wouldn't have thought of yeah i appreciate that i love that dana and that's an important honest like it's safe to be surrounded by people who think like you. But again, if you think about our job to serve and to lead and to improve the communities we're in, what's going to help us get there? And I think also that takes us back to this issue of your hiring team and the ability of who is on that hiring team, right? When you were talking about different perspectives, different voices, different values, and then creating the space and time for them to actually get together and have these conversations, right? It's not through emails and it's not through text, but you have to commit. We're going to come together because one of the things Alan was talking about asking those questions, it's much easier to notice implicit bias or bias in someone else than yourself. So you, if, you're, if you're meeting with someone and you say, hey, Dana, I noticed you didn't think we should move this person ahead. Why is that? Right. And then you get to say you weren't on a bus with them to a conference or something, <laughs> right? You know, right? We get, And so I think that's so important about a hiring committee cannot be made up of yes people, right? Who are all going to count out of the strongest personality. So even that point of having those disparate perspectives and values and goals in that committee, and then being able to ask each other, the questions of why did you make that choice? Or why did you, what do you mean when you say not a right fit? What do you mean by that? What does fit mean to you, right? Yeah. We need to be able to have those conversations in the process of hiring. I wonder too, there's so much of the power dynamic in our international schools, right? So who, the position of power of who's on that hiring committee, because one person could be the head of school. So how much pushback can you give before you start to look like the problem person within your organization? And how do you best frame those questions? And I remember one time we were looking at who we were going to send to a great leadership opportunity. And I heard someone in my team said, well, that person's about to have a baby. So they're going to want to spend time with their newborn and it was like we don't get to make that choice for that yeah. person we yeah. make the opportunity available to them and that person gets to make that choice and what i wanted to say was there is no way you would ever say that about a new dad but of course you're going to say it about the new mom yeah. and so now we just completely took this leadership opportunity away from her but like how do you ask that question when Perhaps the person who's leading that opportunity and recruiting is sitting there and they have such a positional power that you mm. start to look like the, the rub, right? And so it's there is some training that has to be done on how do you push back and how do you bring things and point things out without also jeopardizing perhaps your opportunity to be able to continue to make change within your organization. Are you an educator looking to elevate your career? Consider more than university your gateway to success in international schools. They offer fully online programs with flexible start dates and affordable tuition rates, allowing you to balance work and personal life. Morley University isn't your typical institution. Say goodbye to dull lectures and hello to engaging, interactive learning with passionate educators like yourself. It's a hands-on education that sparks creativity and prepares you for the real-world challenges. With Moreland University, you can earn a prestigious U.S. teaching certification or a master's degree in education from anywhere in the world. Their programs are designed to empower you to become a leader in your field. Don't wait. Take your steps forward, transforming your career today. 
visit www.moreland.edu and apply now. Let Moreland University help you make a difference in student lives worldwide, one classroom at a time. Your journey to becoming an exceptional educator starts with Moreland University. A brighter future begins with you. Now, Alan Aparna, did you have something, Aparna? Well, oh, so one of the things I think you're right about that, and you have to recognize the realities, as you mentioned, of the power situations in play. But I wonder, again, what that would look like with the right norming and training prior to going into that as well. So the head of school understands her position or his position, and they understand that they create a space where whatever the norms are going to be, right? Or the rules are going to be where you're allowed to ask these questions, right? And I know this sounds really silly, but sometimes wondering aloud, rather, like, I wonder if it's right that we're making this decision for her. Wouldn't it be, right? You know, like, you are right, like learning how to do those, like how to phrase the question so that it doesn't seem like a person's being attacked for what they just said. But I think that's part of the work of the team itself, right? To set the rules of engagement and allowing for us to have slightly different roles within that hiring process. I do wonder if that's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, that question, that wondering, I think is, is really important. So I, right now we hired a uh, DEI director recently and uh, her job is to question and her job is to challenge us. And I love that. And we are not offended by it because it is her job to say, hey, are we doing best? So we had, are we doing best for our diverse kids in the school? Or are we doing the best for, to be inclusive of kids and of faculty? And my head of school right now, he wants the person, he wants her to uh, to challenge that. It is her job, right? And not be offended, not get pushed back, right? And it makes us think. And if that, I mean, just the power, the power dynamic, if the head of school is open to that, then it is much more and much easier to accept. Just like, you know, the question I, the idea I brought up earlier about the person not having power and authority is because the head of school has not given the person power and authority in the DI position in order to question that. So if you set up a a job already that way, then how are you going to make changes in your organization? And so if you actually move that position up to a higher level, to a senior leadership position, having the same voice or, or equity as the other senior leadership positions, then that person, there will be more changes in the school. But without that, you're just another voice that is lower than the leadership team. So I'm going to chime in with a question really quick. Elena, Perna, it's so good to to talk with you both and uh just for the listeners out there, this is Molly Faye Nash talking, and sometimes I join Mike and Dana as the voice of the audience asking questions that were submitted by folks who had followed questions from your session. Yeah. Uh, so the question I'm asking on behalf of the audience is, in terms of evaluating candidates from diverse backgrounds, what steps can organizations take to ensure that the assessment process is fair and equitable for all applicants, regardless of their intersectional identities? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I can certainly go first. The first thing I would say is that just remember that people from marginalized groups tend to have less experience and less opportunities when you're looking at a candidate. So if you're looking at a, let's say you're looking at a candidate who's a black woman, let's say a black gay woman also, chances are that her experience might be lower than a white male. 
And so if you look at it from that perspective, that is like, if this voice is valuable for us, this is what we look at. So that uh, you have to think about that way first. And then the other thing is not to look at, you know, the number of years, just like Dana was saying, the actual title of the position from before is looking at what are we looking for in this position? And what are the competencies that we're looking for in this position? What are the competencies that will make this person successful in this position? And look through the CV that way, through that lens, versus the number of years of experience, versus the title the person had from before, versus what school they were at before, organization that before. That will help frame a lot of people and moving them forward rather than being a gatekeeper, as Operator mentioned, because they didn't have three years of experience you know, or in a school setting, or they, you know, they might have three years of experience in a different organization that might be also just as valuable. And so those are the things that I would say that keep an open mind with that. And then write, like the final thing for me is like, write down what you're looking for, for this job and take away as many of the gatekeeping barriers uh, as possible and asking yourself and your team to come to that agreement to uh, bring a more diverse group of candidates to your table. Yeah. And I could only add to that is, again, I think I might have mentioned this, is to give your team time. So if you've got your team and then you can norm with these instructions that Alan was giving you, right? And you even had the opportunity to look at a few CVs together and say, oh, no, you know, Molly Faye, I noticed you're kind of focused on that title, right? Or I say something and someone says, Aparna, why are you drawn to the years? What about her competencies, right? I mean, that's the kind of work and discipline it takes to do this well, is to not just say, this is what we're going to do, but then take the team through it, right? Can you guys go through, can you all go through a few CVs together and see how you're reading and keep asking each other, are we staying focused on these competencies that Alan had described that we're looking at? What is drawing us away? Why are we doing this, right? And to actually have those norms in place before the actual CVs come in would be huge. So it takes practice, right? To unlearn some of our go-to strategies we've just used in hiring. One of the things that I keep hearing, and it, it's like a bugaboo that drives me nuts, is, well, we put it out there and we have so many applications, but like the final ones, same, similar demographics, similar yeah. backgrounds, right? And they're like, obviously it went out there. And so this is what we ended up with. So we're not going to keep looking anymore. We've got enough. We have enough to sort through, right? So where are we not looking? Like there are teachers from every background and identity around the world, right? Like in every nationality, every, everything, right? So like, we just keep pooling. I feel like we just keep picking from the same group. So how do we... How do we make that? So I, I hate that excuse. And I've, I've heard it so often, I can't even say. So A, what do we say? And B, how do we change that, I guess? Do you have any ideas? <laughs> One of the things is actually, because, I mean, we mentioned this before, if you look in the same place, you're going to find the same people. And then a lot of barriers are kept people from applying for jobs. So international school, not the best word, but religiously look at the school's Anglo-Saxon English speaking, what they consider English speaking, I'm, I'm putting air quotes for those who are <laughs> uh, out there. You know, like we're talking about US, Canada, UK, 
Australia, New Zealand, and sometimes South Africa are included in there. Those are considered English-speaking countries out there in the world, right? But we forget that you have Nigeria, India, Malaysia, Singapore, the Philippines. There are so many countries where English is spoken at home as their first language, and they're not considered native English speakers, or they're not the considered English-speaking countries. And it's quite offensive for those people. And I know so many friends and colleagues who are from there. And my heart breaks every time they go on out to recruit, especially leadership positions, you know, or in that passport keeps people. They're like, oh, the person's Filipino. I'm like, I'm not sure we can we can hire that. They don't have the training or something like that. And like that alone is uh, drives me absolutely crazy just because you are creating barriers for yourself rather than opening it up. There's so many people out there. You might have somebody with a, you know, Nigerian passport, but have lived all over, was an international, might be an international school kid, were into an international school and also worked in international school. And all of a sudden that Nigerian passport, just that person from achieving or getting into the door of a leisure position. And the question is why, why? Is this because you can't get a visa? Is it truly that you can't get a visa? And I understand because sometimes that that happens. However, if that's not the case, then you need to consider that person for that position and not just look at their passport or not look at where they're from and open yourself up a little more. Yeah, and I was just, I mean, again, Dana, it comes back to the whole point of this conversation, which is the biasy, right? We see a university degree and we don't recognize that university, right? Yeah. Why don't we hop down and look at their experience? Oh, because you stopped at the university and you've put that aside. And we have to own that, that that's what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? And saying, no, no, I looked. No, you stopped. Uh, you know, how many CVs do you not go through because of those first, I don't know, the five pieces of information at the top? And it's that level of commitment, I think. It's not looking at the CV and saying what they don't have. It's looking at the CV and saying, what do they have? And this has piqued my interest and I'm going to pick up the phone, right? Or I'm going to reach out to them. Yeah. I mean, I can use myself as an example when I was looking for a vice principal in Shanghai. And we had a lot of men on our team in general. And I said, look, we don't have any, we have very few women in this uh, leadership team. So my, I was intentional. I said, well, the for female voices missing because I'm a male principal in the position. And then I also said, look, we need more people of color in general in this position. And when I went out to recruit and I had to hire a committee and I remember the chair, she came up to me. She said, Alan, I said, yes. I was like, there are a lot of women on here and a lot of women of color. I was like, well, it's intentional. She said, I thought so. But, you know, I said, because we had a, like a large application pool for about for a position, it's like 70 applicants. And I went through all of them. You know, you have to take the time to go through all of them. And you have to make it for me, it's like, what voice was missing? Who can I bring into, whose voice can I, do I need for this position to be successful? And I said, you know, I also was looking for administrative experience. I didn't specify what, but I said administrative experience. And so, and a diverse like background of like experience from other schools size of schools, different countries. And it helped a lot just because I was looking through a very different lens. Because if I were just looking the number of years of experience, honestly, 
I would say the men rose to the very top because they, honestly, they just had more white men have just more experience in general. And I said, in the end, I hired a woman, a white woman who was phenomenal and who's in the position now. And it's just because we looked at the CV very differently than those uh, who were applying because there were a lot of people who had principal experience applying for a vice principal experience job. You would think they can do the job, but I said, that's actually not as important as somebody who actually would bring a better voice to the team. Thanks so much, Alan, for that. Mm -hmm. uh, as we come down to our last minutes here, I just if you wanted to share with the audience where they can find you, whether it's email or a website of such. Uh, sure. We are at www.diversityfair.org. So our organization is the Diversity Collective, but our URL is diversityfair.org. Alan and I can both be found on LinkedIn as well. And our emails are alan at diversityfair.org. And I'm at aprna, A-P-A-R-N-A, at diversityfair.org. And we would love to hear from any schools or candidates who are interested in moving this work forward to diversify our international schools. Thank you so much, Aparna and Alan. Dana, did you have any last words? Oh, no, this was wonderful. Thank you. I could yeah. talk about this all day. <laughs> it's I know. We're doing our schools, and I appreciate all the work both of you are doing because we can get better. We have so much room for growth. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you for your time. Thank, thank you so much, you. Alan and Aparna, for sharing your valuable insights and experiences with us today. It's been a pleasure having you on EDU Learn. Ask me anything. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode inspiring and informative, please be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and share the AMA with your educated friends. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep making a positive impact in the world of education. Bye-bye, my fellow educators. Bye.